You're listening to this week's podcast brought to you by China US Focus. Hello, I'm James Chow with context and commentary on the world's most fascinating bilateral relationship. Welcome to our time together. Now, if you missed last week's episode where I spoke about the Trump Kim summit, you can catch it on our website. Just search through our podcast archive. But I begin with a few stories that, in a few minutes, provides understanding on where China and the United States are heading today. In Washington, U.S. Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross and China's Vice Premier Liu He sat down once again as talk of a trade war continues to loom. Afterwards, the Chinese said this: "All economic and trade outcomes of the talks will not take effect if the U.S. side imposes any trade sanctions, including raising tariffs." They've drawn their red line, saying the two sides must meet at a halfway point and not engage in a trade war. The U.S. Pacific Command has a new name. It's the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command. It reinforces the Trump administration's rhetoric on the strategic importance of India to regional stability in Asia, and of course suggests a renewed American focus on countering Chinese influence in the area. But it also serves another purpose. Now, Admiral Harry Harris has been leading that command, and as he hands off to his successor, he also frees himself up to be President Trump's. Nominee for U.S. ambassador to South Korea. Two staff at a California flight school have been arrested. They're accused of kidnapping a Chinese student pilot and attempting to send him back to China. The two staff members showed up at the student's apartment late one night last week and said he was going to be shipped back the next morning. During that confrontation, the student was knocked down to the ground and scared. He got into their car. According to those reports, he was in the U.S. on a one-year appropriate student visa, but we'll see how the story continues to unfold. Now, to this week's analysis. There's one other story sitting on the sidelines that's significant on a number of levels. That's the sound of photographers clicking away. As Burkina Faso switched diplomatic sites from Taiwan to Beijing, Burkina Faso is a country of around 20 million people. But by switching, it leaves Taiwan with just one diplomatic relationship in the whole of Africa. Last month, the Dominican Republic did the same, leaving Taiwan with just ten partners in Latin America and the Caribbean. Here's a word from Alpha Barry. He's the Burkina Faso Foreign Minister, and also Wang Yi, China's Foreign Minister. Today is a historical day and a memorable one. It is the day of the reunion of the people of the two nations. Minister Barry and I agreed that we should consistently increase mutual political trust and push forward friendship, communication, and cooperation in all fields. Now, there's a lot to be said about politicians who speak a great line but don't necessarily reflect what their own people are feeling. So, here are a couple of words from traders and businessmen in Burkina Faso and what they think the switch to Beijing will do for them. Things are very expensive. Almost anything you want to buy, be it clothes, shoes, mobile phones, costs too much. You have to bargain hard to afford it. Whenever we want to travel to China to buy goods, we are forced to travel to other countries like Togo, Cote d'Ivoire, sometimes even Ethiopia or Kenya, just to get a visa. 
We are forced to stay there for days waiting for the visa to be processed. It becomes very expensive for us. Now, Taiwan is calling this dollar diplomacy. It's angry with Beijing, saying it's throwing its money in its weight to wrangle away the few friends it has. That's a valid question. Is this dollar diplomacy? Now, if we look in the case of the Dominican Republic, that switching of size was seemingly related to a $3 billion-plus package of investments and loans. Beijing said there wasn't any economic precondition. But we also think about this. Taiwan now says it wants to lend its ally, Haiti, $150 million for infrastructure development. So if it is dollar diplomacy, it's on a different scale, but it does go both ways. Dr. Adams Olu is a political scientist in Nairobi, and he's been looking at the wider geopolitical significance of Burkina Faso's switching size. This is what Dr. Olu predicts next. Previously, you'll find that Burkina Faso has relied on Taiwan on the medical and agricultural area, but uh, the way China has related with Africa, it has been more of infrastructure, big uh, infrastructural projects like roads, railways, stadiums, and I think uh, Burkina Faso will be no different. But in recent years, there was an unspoken understanding that Beijing would leave Taiwan alone and not poach its diplomatic allies, so long as Taiwan did not call for independence. That detente worked under the previous nationalist government, usually warmer, friendlier, more pragmatic in its approach towards Beijing. But under its next and current leader, Tsai Ing-wen, of the Democratic Progressive Party, it's been very different. Beijing is letting her feel the full force of the world's second biggest economy. There's still a handful of countries in the Pacific that recognize Taiwan over Beijing, and of course the crown jewel, that being the Vatican. There have been murmurings that Beijing and the Vatican are negotiating to recognize one another for the first time since the 1950s. I wrote a long piece on this for Newsweek magazine, and I'd love to do a podcast on this subject. But the point is that you have almost all of Africa recognizing Beijing, a continent of a billion dynamic individuals where progress is the buzzword. Some would say in spite of China's involvement, others will say because of it. Taiwan doesn't have a realistic look in here. It does still in Latin America, but that could change if the Vatican switches sides, bringing with it all these countries that, as we remember, are Catholic majority and under the wand of Pope Francis, who, as an Argentinian, is, of course, from the region himself. One last word from us, Dinny McMahon. He's a journalist, ex-Wall Street Journal, ex-Dow Jones. He spent 10 years reporting from Beijing and Shanghai, and he's written a special piece for China-US Focus this week. He says that China's success was not a function of reform. It was the result of the willingness and ability of the government to paper over the cracks and kick the can down the road. Now, this, of course, is the 40th anniversary of China's opening up and reforms, and Denny McMahon has a very different take on that. Read his article and other commentary on our website, ChinaUSFocus.com. At ChinaUSFocus is also the handle for our Twitter and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Write to us there. That's it for this week's podcast from me, James Chow, and our editorial teams in Hong Kong and New York. Take care and see you again. <laughs>